1: It is Episode 7 of From the Braves Booth, and we are so glad you found us. Wherever you tune in and get your podcast, glad that we could be a part of your normal rotation. Alongside Joe Simpson and our producer-engineer, Jonathan Chadwick, Ben Ingram here with you. And Joe, good to see you. We're on the backside of the All-Star break. I know this is our second show since the break, but we're 100 games into the season And uh, before we get into our questions from our listeners and such, I think this is a really good time on this really important road trip that we talk about where this team is and maybe what our expectations are going into the trade deadline and pivotal time in the season right now, isn't it?
2: Especially because of the uh, uh, trade deadline approaching, Ben, and and what decisions have to be made and how much literally the next three games will dictate toward the uh, any moves the Braves make. The um, the road trip, when we started talking about it before it started, four in Philadelphia, five in New York. We were talking about nine games. What do they need to do? And we were talking about it this time last week. Right. And one of the things was, you know, uh, in my opinion, was they needed to go 7-2 or 6-3 at the very least. Well, right now they are 3-3. Three three. So to have any semblance of positive feelings about going into the deadline you got to sweep the next three to come home six and three from the trip.
1: And if you want the good news on that, at least you have the pitching lined up that gives you the best opportunity. Now, that doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, in order for this team to do that, you're talking about one of the longest winning streaks of the year. I think their longest is four. Right. Um, so you'd need to win three straight against a team that you were six and seven against in New York. I thought yesterday was really big um, from the standpoint of needing to get both games. Now, you might win the next three games and take four out of five and, Maybe you say, okay, that's what you wanted to do in New York. But I felt you needed to take both of those games and you split them. And what it did to me, Joe, it it just reminded me of everything that we've seen for the whole season. You win a ball game, take a step forward, get to the place where you say, okay, if we can win this next game or win that next series, then you're at 500 or over 500. This will get you going. We've been saying that all year. Absolutely, we have, and it just felt like a microcosm of the entire season. Those two games yesterday,
2: I think you're exactly right, and not only that, but coming off the way they won Game One yesterday with the shutout, two to nothing, clutch hitting, good pitching, you're riding a high. You're riding a one-game high, and that was something that I thought would carry over into Game Two, mm-hmm. um, even with uh, with Bryce Wilson pitching. And that's not a knock on Bryce, but the fact that he was the second pitcher of a doubleheader uh, again for the Braves, and he came out and pitched great. He only went three innings, but he didn't lose the game. Right. He didn't put them in a place where they were going to lose the game. He gave him a chance to win. So he did his job. They were riding a high and couldn't find the mark against the New York pitching and their bullpen. So uh, what had to happen was didn't happen, right. and that was just to get a couple of
1: runs. I, I, I've i tried to put myself into the mind of Alex Anthopoulos over the last 24, 48 hours about what you do and you're 100 games in and this team has been in that narrow lane of 500 and 500 the entire season and there are two ways that you could look at that i feel i think one way is you say well this team just doesn't have it they're going to be a 500 team at best let's sell off some players let's see what we can get in return keep the structural foundation of the team try again in 2022. another way to look at that is is well we're 500 with this bunch can i make two three moves and add some pieces that get me to 10 games over 500. And I don't know which of those two ways is the is the most appropriate and realistic way to view that with where this ball club is.
2: Think about how difficult that would be if you were sitting at Alex's desk trying to guesstimate what's going to happen based on what the team's done through 100 games. Now, that's pretty heavy evidence yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. But there's also that lingering evidence of getting within one game of the World Series last year. Now, what's missing from that? Well, Mark Melanson at the end of your bullpen. Right. Start there, and then you go through your lineup, and you're missing Ozuna, Darno, Acuna. That's really heavy right there. Right. That's some heavy evidence right there that it's going to be mighty tough to get to the top of the division and then go on to the postseason. Now that having said that, This is not a division that somebody's running off and leaving you. It's there for the taking. So... If I can, if I'm Alex Anthopoulos, and I can make a couple of deals as you suggested, and we can make a run at it at the top of the division, then I think you got to consider that. Yeah, I think so too. You're, it's so challenging, I think, because you want to make moves based on what
1: you are, not what somebody else is in your division. I feel, and that as part of that, that's part of it. I feel uh, because if the Braves are in the West, you wouldn't even consider these things. But the Mets have left the door open. And, and I think that makes it so hard. I, I go back to the Acuna injury. If he were available, he's at the top of your order, and you still make the deal for Jock, and you add another piece, then you might get to the deadline and say, we can go for this thing. We've still got a lineup that can really produce. Maybe we'll make a deal or two when we get there. But with Acuna not there, I'm not saying that they can't make a run for it, but do you feel like now it becomes three or four p- pieces that you have to add, whether that be three or four separate deals or – two deals that bring on a a bunch of players i feel like there's a lot that you have to bring in
2: yeah it's too many Mm -hmm. you know that's just too difficult to do you might be able to make a deal uh that that involves two players from the same team uh that helps you out at the major league level but anything beyond that is really difficult because of uh how much are you willing to give up out of your farm system Mm -hmm. off your major league club uh you might be forced to do some of that too so that they're in- interchangeable i just don't see any real out reality in three or four players coming here uh before the end of the week that would be a real coup and i it yeah. just it's just honestly too hard to do
1: yeah it is, it is very difficult but with so many other teams that are looking at the same thing uh, looking to accomplish the same thing that you yeah. are at the and, trade and, and want the same players yeah yeah uh, fortunately, they have a department for all that. I, admittedly, I am not good at that uh, aspect I know. of it. I, it.
2: It's easy for us. Yeah. Because um, we see the results of whatever that deal is, but we don't have to go home and have our guts eaten out over whether or not it was a good deal or not. Yeah. You know, that's what you've got to weigh. It's it's an investment to make, and you got to weigh the, the uh, financial side as well as the results on the field and what you get back. So – um, It's tough, and, and I'm not good at it either. I'm real good at spending other people's money, <laughs> but,
1: but that would be a tough thing to do. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, I don't want to be over-the-top optimistic where it's unrealistic, but even if you can't make make the moves that you're looking for, even if you can't get into the postseason this year, there's some things I'm pretty excited about for next year. Number one, if you bring back Freddie Freeman, I know we've gotten a million questions on that, but let's just work under the assumption that he's here the rest of his career. Right. Right have Acuna back healthy, have the structure of your team, see what you can add. But we've seen some pitching performances here in the last couple of weeks that have been pretty excited. Kyle Muller is one of those guys. Right. And I know it's just a couple of outings, but the, the way that he has developed, going from the guy that I saw at spring training two and three years ago to what I saw versus uh, Pete Alonso with that strikeout in the third inning yesterday, that showed tremendous growth from, from a really good pitcher, and I, I love seeing that. And then another element of that is is Tuki Tucson. And it's been just two starts, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But let's be honest, Joe, he's had a hard time putting two together. We've seen maybe one like he's put off uh, the other day. But back-to-back, back, we haven't seen that a ton. And with the, the development that he's had, the things that he's changed, I love his stuff right now. And those are two guys that I think could be difference makers in your rotation moving forward.
2: Do you feel like when you see that kind of improvement from Tookie uh, that you you look back at kyle wright and say you know what same thing could happen to him right all of a sudden the light bulb could go on and with his arm some similar results could be in store for kyle wright there are a lot of people who think that kyle wright's never going to be who we hoped he would be uh you know i we talked to tom glavin tom glavin is a big kyle wright fan he still feels like kyle is going to be a good solid major league pitcher not sure he's going to be with the Braves, right? but he's going to be a solid starter somewhere. So there's another guy that we may have been disappointed so far in his results and his progress, but that doesn't mean it's not going to come. So to go back to your, your point, and that was the core going forward to 22, it is solid. It's going to be good. We all hope, mm-hmm. but, but the makings are there. So I, I, I put this question to you now do you make a deal now for 2022? Not so much for hoping to get to the postseason this year. Right. But for something that makes you that much better going into 2022, because there are players out there right now who are um, protected. I mean, you you would have them for the rest of this season and all of 22 before they become free agents. Yeah. And, you know, Byron Buxton's a guy that comes to mind right away. Uh, trade Turner's a guy whose name comes up has suddenly come up the last couple of days. I'm just throwing names out there, mm-hmm. but really good players that teams might say, "Gosh, why are you why are you making a trade for Byron Buxton when he's hurt?" Right. You know, or why are you making a deal with the Dodgers? Uh, what's the redheaded guy's name? Uh, the, the Trey flame, Turner. Uh, no, the pitcher. Oh, Dustin May. May Dustin May. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. Right. Well, so was Max Freed when the Braves got him. Mm-hmm. You know, do you make deals for those types of guys now making you better for 22? That's something to consider. It is, and it seems like the safer play to me.
1: I, I hope I'm wrong. I have my doubts when it comes to this team getting back to where they were last year. And, and the only reason I say that is we've seen 100 games and nothing has changed. There may be some mega deal out there that we're not, we have no idea about, and all of a sudden the Braves get four guys in here, and the last 62 games, they flip a switch, and they take off. That's possible. Is it likely? I say no, and and I hope I'm wrong. But to me, if, if, if guys like that exist, if trades like that exist, they can make you better for 2022. I, I think as a general manager, yes, I want to win now, but I think the, the long haul has to be part
2: of my concern as well. I, I agree, and I think most Braves fans – I hope, would be able to recognize this, Mm -hmm. that, okay, we just got better. Is it good enough? I don't know. But we're darn sure going to be better for 22. Right. You know, I'm targeting lineup uh, in my head in terms of what I would hope that uh, Alex is looking at. And I say that for this reason. I, I look at Austin Riley and Dansby Swanson, who are really good players Mm -hmm. and can be good offensive players at times especially riley he's on a hot streak right now dansby can get hot but to me they're not fourth and fifth hitters Mm -hmm. they're not four and five hole hitters in a major league lineup they're five and six at best and like last year and preferably sixth and seventh so that yes so that your lineup is deeper in the middle When you had the Ozunas and when you had the Darnos, all of a sudden you got some pretty good thunder down there at the bottom of the order. That's what I hope to see happen. Uh, Even if it's a guy or two that's not having a good year this year, and you might be able to get him at a pretty good price as long as you've got a chance to have him in 2022 and have that player bounce back, that's what's going to make our lineup better. Because right now, after Swanson in the five-hole Mm-hmm. Night to night, you just don't know if you're going to get any production out of the bottom half of the order.
1: Well, one thing that you already have that will push those guys down is a healthy Acuna, I and mean, that's yes. one slot that they they all move down. But you're right. I mean, you think about the guys that they had last season, and we've talked about this before. Riding in the lineup this season a time or two, where you think, man, how much different is this from the lineup we were riding in last season? When and I understand you had a DH at that at that point. And maybe you will next year. I don't know. We'll find that out in December. But it, it, there was so much more depth. And you're talking about 6, 7, and 8 uh, last season being better than maybe what you had, five, six, seven, four, five, six 7, yes. 6 this season yes. in stretches.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm looking at. That's mm-hmm. what I'm hoping to see improved because um, uh, I love the enthusiasm and the hustle and excitement of Guillermo Heredia. He's playing a really good center field so good that they designated Ender Enciarte for assignment, no longer uh, with the team. Uh, Abraham Almonte has been a a solid guy off the bench, you know, playing part-time, but he's he's played a lot. Those are the kind of guys that sometimes get exposed and you find out, okay, that's why he got released or that's why the Braves were able to pick him up off waivers. He's not an everyday guy, but he's a good bench player. Right. Um, So... It's not a criticism of them that they're not major league players. It's that they're not everyday players, in my right. in my opinion. Yeah, that's a really
1: good point. And uh, when you're getting to sprinkle those guys in, great. Yes. When it's everyday, yes.
2: that well, tread e- runs down. Even right now, let's say the Braves, uh, it doesn't have to be a left fielder. Let's say it's a center fielder they're able to go out and, and pick up. And then all of a sudden, you can platoon Heredia and Almonte and left. Right you got an everyday center fielder, but now all of a sudden, instead of uh, both of those guys playing every day, Almonte and RCA included in that too, and Heredia, they're alternating and that you can platoon left and right. And they benefit from it individually too. They should, yes. So there's options and ways to do this without having to uh, just get one specific position for a guy.
1: Yeah. Well, there's two months left in the season, and um, like we said, I'd love to be wrong, personally. I I hope something crazy happens. You get a few players, and you get that magic formula that no one has been able to really quantify in the history of the game of what it takes to get a team where they're special. And uh, Had a special team last year, and I, I think there's certain elements where you'd point at and say, well, that's one of the reasons why, but there's some overall... Uh, mystifying element in my mind that just makes a team really good and really special, and you, you just hope you have the right combination.
2: We got spoiled last year with an awesome shutdown bullpen. Yeah. You know, Alex went out and got Melanson and Green, and he got uh, uh, Chris um, Martin. Martin. Man, that's pretty solid seventh, eighth, and ninth inning right there. It was pretty much your starters only had to go five, really. Now, you're really hoping the starters get into the seventh. Yeah. Go six and a third at least, where you only need seven or eight outs from your bullpen because it's not as deep as it was. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame those guys for having a tough year. I I, give them a pass that they've had to pitch so much that you're, they're just not going to be sharp every night. Right. And uh, could they use some help in there in the bullpen? Of course, yeah. You know, any team go through one through 30 everybody needs bullpen help so um that's why i go with the lineup and not so much with the relievers because the way our starters are pitching right now i feel like they're beginning to really get deeper in games right and take some of that heat off the bullpen which i think will make the bullpen better
1: really it is something in baseball if you if you don't get where you want to be second the season ends it's all right, next season, what yeah. are we going to do? Right. And what, what can we add? What's this position going to look like? And, and it never ends. And I, and I love that part about our game and getting to go with the ongoing soap opera that it is trying to win at the big league level. Uh, time to jump into some of your questions. And before we even do this, you guys have um, really given us some awesome questions over the now seven weeks we've done this show. And, and this week's is is no different. We have some amazing questions and I don't think there is any way we can get to all of these this week. And we will do our best to uh, save some of these for the weeks to come because there are certainly some questions on here that are evergreen and timeless and we could answer them at any point. But uh, it, it just makes me thrilled to know that our listeners are as tuned in as they are, as baseball savvy and high of a baseball right. IQ as they have. And right. I, I really love that. Me too. From our listeners. So JC's joining us now. By the way, JC has been working tirelessly. I wish you guys could see our booth right now. As we're recording this podcast, the stage is set. You may – can you think our listeners can hear anything in the background?
0: I don't know. We'll see.
1: Yeah. So there's a giant concert stage in center field. There are chairs down. The entire field is covered in these – these boards that are pieced together plastic like, mallet uh, yeah. pallets right yeah i think you know, there's chairs out there so there's a concert going on right now it's uh, green day fallout boy and weezer they're gonna be playing all night so we have these soundproof boards over our windows but are we going to are we gonna end up doing the game from across the street or we even know yet
0: most likely. Okay. So
1: here we are. It is currently 3.12 in the afternoon on Tuesday, July 27th, and we will be calling the game here in about four hours, and we don't know right now with certainty where we're broadcasting the game because the concert might be too loud here inside the
2: stadium. We may have to get under the counter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and uh, make another Fallout boy's going to put us in a fallout shelter is yes. what they're going to do. Yes.
0: That's why it'll be good when we get back to traveling. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about these types of things when the team's on the road. Because having to jump through the hoops like this that we do, yeah. it's not fun. Well, f-
1: f- Joe and I are fortunate that it's you who's in charge. Because I don't have a whole lot of confidence. Too many other people getting us on the air and getting us what we need the way that JC has for all oh, this. Oh, no.
2: He's consulted me on several topics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I've been, I've been really... Lousy at making any <laughs> offers on that. But yeah. hey, hey, thanks to uh Ch- Chip and to uh Chip Graham, Chip Graham.
0: Andrew Tangway, Mark Phipps. Yeah. We couldn't do any of this last year, this year, and moving forward, as long as we have to do things like this without them, that's for sure. Yep. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Well that said, um, as we paint the picture from our our bunker that we've turned our booth into jc do you have any questions on uh, this list you'd like to start off with
0: yeah ashley would like to know what what color starburst is your favorite
1: i don't need starburst i do like some starburst uh either pink or yellow
0: same for me it's pink or yellow uh, forced to pick one, I'd probably have to say pink.
1: Pink's kind of undefeated when it comes to Starburst. Really? really? good. Uh, really, I'll, really I'll good keep stuff. that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Come Halloween time. See, I think that's why I end up liking the yellows, because nobody took the yellows in Halloween. I'd clean. I love the
0: yellows. Yellows are way underrated.
1: I agree. Totally agree. Um, how about this question? This is from Rebecca. And she says, why do managers get the lion's share of the blame when they just don't have the players they need to win? And that's a very insightful question because I, I think any time a team is struggling, the first guy who goes to the fire is the manager, right or wrong, Joe. Uh, but it seems like if there's one person that's going to be taking the blame, it's always going to be the manager before anybody.
2: And they know that. You know, it comes with the territory – Um, You know, Brian Snitker was the first guy everybody praised last year about bringing this team together, well, three years ago. They've got a three-year run going with the division title. You didn't hear too much criticism of Brian Snitker. But as soon as things, you're not in first place anymore, well, it's got to be the manager's problem and fault. And, And it's not. Just look at our lineup. Just look at who's on the injured list. Brian can't get those guys in the lineup. He can't play them because they're hurt. Right. Or, or otherwise in the case of Osuna. So you can blame Brian if you want, and he can handle it. He can take it. But so much of where the, the team is right now is way off of his shoulders. It, it's not his fault.
0: To Joe's point, you're missing your one-hitter, your three-hitter, your four-hitter. You're missing Mike Soroka. Uh, it's probably why most managers don't have social media. It's not fair. It's not right. But as Joe said, it's part of the territory. And if you want to blame Brian Snicker, you can blame Brian Snicker. He doesn't have the bullpen he had last year. He doesn't have a lot of things at his disposal he had last year. And certainly what's went on this year, my finger wouldn't be pointed at him.
2: No, that's the truth. Uh, This is from Butch. When you guys have an off night during the season, what do you like to do?
1: That is a great question. Uh, I like to... Number one, get a good meal because you never know what we might be eating at the ballpark night in, night out. It's usually all right, but I think you want to be able to say, I was able to get to this place last night and have this meal. And uh, Between that and the girlfriend and resting up, watching whatever's on TV, there's not much time for a whole lot else after that, is there?
0: No. Jonathan? I would say uh, rest up, sleep in, catch up on everything around the house that I haven't had time to do, whether that's go to the grocery store, go to the cleaners. Uh, pay bills, whatever, like I said, I haven't had time to do, and then uh, probably fire up the big, the big green egg.
2: Yeah. That's a good call. That is a good call. Yeah. I, I, Kathy and I always like to go out to dinner uh, on those off nights because uh, that's good time, quality time. But the thing I appreciate the most about an off day is when I look at the clock and it says 2 o'clock, I know I'm not going to the ballpark. <laughs> you know, I, I'm in no hurry to have to get ready to go to the ballpark yeah. to do the game. And so I know I've got the whole evening to ourselves to do whatever I want.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. All right, this question is from Carl. When you guys travel with a team, what do you wear? Are you familiar with Lululemon, Carl? Because J-Chad could be a model for Lululemon. Could you not? Well. I mean, you got some gear, brother.
0: Well, I have the gear. I don't know if I have the physique that most of the Lululemon (laughs) models have. But I do like the gear.
2: Have you seen the uh, beach volleyball? No. Lululemon outfits. Come on now. Yeah, I'm telling you. They got the Olympic team? Uh, the uh, Olympic beach volleyball. That's a big get. For the uh, for the men. For the That's men. cool. Yeah, it is. Really cool. I, I noticed that today.
0: I would say, to answer that question, when we leave Atlanta and we're going somewhere, it's usually some sort of, whether it's Lululemon pants and a sport coat and a dress shirt, uh, when we're going city to city or back to Atlanta, it may be a little more relaxed, but leaving Atlanta certainly... Normally in the past, well, it's a business trip, and we've had a sport coat on. It's
2: changed a lot. Oh, boy. <laughs> Has it ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it started off uh, when I first came here in the early 90s. It was coat and tie Yeah, on the plane, always. Uh, slacks, coat and tie. Some guys got away with a, a modified turtleneck instead of a tie, but it <laughs> was, you had to be dressed up. And uh, then it finally um, – i am I don't want to say digressed it just it got modernized to jeans and a sport coat and a dress shirt and it's a lot looser now and i think we're about to find out since we're going to be allowed to travel on the next road trip because we haven't been on a road trip for the last year and a half yeah i think my first four or five years if i was getting to go on a trip
1: I mean, you're nodding up every time tie on jacket mm-hmm. i think lately it's all that but no tie maybe jeans and, and a button-up nice yeah. jeans nice Thank- shoes Right. I got a thing.
0: I remember the quick story. 2013, first road trip I ever took to the Braves. We went to Los Angeles and, you know, sport coat, shirt, tie, whole nine yards. And when we got off the, uh, w- we landed in LA, we bused to the hotel. And when we were getting off the bus uh, at the hotel in Los Angeles, uh, BJ Upton was on the team at the time and he looked at me and he said, <laughs> Bro, don't ever wear that tie again.
2: <laughs> Is that what he called you, a dork?
0: Yeah, he said you look like a dork.
2: <laughs> and I'm assuming you took his advice.
0: Uh, I don't remember. I may have worn it. You know, I think Gerald Laird said, you know, because of the the loafers I was wearing, he said, I think he made some sort of reference to with a Navy sport coat and gray slacks I think I had on. He he made some kind of comparison Said so I look like Terry McGurk.
2: Oh, okay. Well, that's not bad. That's not a bad thing at all. Oh.
1: You look like a dork. <laughs> Don't ever wear that That's That's awesome. I again.
0: Uh, here's one from Carla Is there a team in the division you guys like to see the Braves beat more than any other?
2: Yeah, but it, it rotates. You know, it depends on uh, who you might be challenging for first place, and you got a real rivalry going. Uh, let's face it, there's good rivalries for the Braves with the Mets, Phillies, yeah. and Nationals in particular. And then in light of what happened with the Marlins and Acuna and the way they keep plunking him, all of a sudden that becomes kind of a vicious rivalry. Uh-huh. But I would say right now is there? it's shifted for me away from the Nationals and more to the Mets. I'm, I'm right there with you.
1: Okay. I think from about 13, 2012, 2013 to I guess last year since the Nationals won the World Series two years ago, it was the Nats. And you felt the rivalry with the Mets and the Phillies and the Marlins, but you felt like the Nats were the top contender to you. So it became them. But I agree with you now. It's definitely the Mets. Mets got a new owner. They're spending a bunch of money. Um, I get, think They had a good team. They have a good team. And I think they felt like once they made those moves, that it, never mind the Braves, we're going to waltz to the postseason. I think so. not all of them, but I think a, a large part of their fan base felt that way. So that just – ratcheted up that in my mind that rivalry and it's new york i mean i yeah, always want to be a new york team
0: i would i would agree that it rotates so you know there seems like there's been so many years where the braves just you know clean house when they went to miami to play the marlins it's not necessarily the case anymore and hasn't been the last couple of seasons for me for the longest time and i still feel this way a little bit it's the nationals and i can't get off the nationals and i think it's just because we see trey turner and what he does against the braves time and time and time again. And it seems like he's always on base. When he gets on base, he takes the next base, and he's just a pest to deal with out there. Uh, Juan Soto, the same thing. So, uh, my answer, I guess, would be I like to see the Braves beat all of them, but um, I really like it when they can beat the Nationals.
2: Tell you, with the, I mentioned this earlier about supposedly the Nationals are putting everybody on the trading block except for Juan Soto. I it would, if the Braves were not able to get a player like Trey Turner. I'm all for him trading him. Yeah. Get him out of our division. Amen. (laughs) You know, send him out west or
1: something. What drives me nuts about a player like that is one element is how good he is. But number two, it's I want guys on my team that play like that. That's what drives me nuts. Yeah. You want guys on your team that can play the game the way that he does. True. He's so good at it. Uh, For everybody, what was the most gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, toughest game you all called? That is from Trent. Trent.
2: Well, uh, Game Seven of the NLCS was awfully tough to take last year because the Braves had a three games to one lead on the Dodgers and couldn't couldn't finish them off. That was really painful, right? And heartbreaking. But I'm going to go to one inning three years ago, two years ago, mm-hmm. when the Braves had a what was it, two games to one lead on the Cardinals, right. and I know. Game five was ugly in the first inning, but it was how the ra- the Cardinals rallied in game four in yep. St. Louis. We had Acuna at third, I think, with nobody out to add to our lead, and we couldn't get him in. And St. Louis rallied. Molina gets a hit, and we got to go back to Atlanta. That loss was a horrible loss. I can still
0: picture that Molina at bat in my mind and that little just ball that went off the end of the bat over Freddie's head that barely dinked in there. Mm-hmm.
1: I'll never forget feeling the floor of Bush Stadium move when he got that base hit, and I just thought to myself, all right, I'm hopeful for game five, but yeah. he just kind
2: of felt like that was your shot. Well, it was uh, hopeful because Fulton-Evich had pitched so well right. in game two, I think, I think game two. two. Yeah. So everybody was thinking, well, if he can do that again, we're in good shape. Yeah.
1: I'll say last year, game seven, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're... So you're one went away from going to the World Series. But the three of us were one went away from going to the World Series. We had called every game from our booth, just like, like we have this season. So when the team was on the road, we were calling games off the monitor. So we're watching that game in Texas, Braves and Dodgers, and you have the lead, and uh, you're up three games to one in that series. You had the lead in game seven, and to lose that game, and I was thinking in my mind, we're going to Dallas. We're going to go call the World Series at a stadium I've never been to, um, four wins away from winning the World Series, and uh, knocking off LA, and being Beyond. that close—that uh, for the first couple of weeks of the off season, it was so surreal. I was Thinking to myself, I can't believe it's over. Right. That, that's the one that really stuck with me.
0: It would be uh, unanimous for me across the board uh, in the role that I'm currently in. The team—that's that's as far as they've ever made it. And uh, I think selfishly, for anyone that does what we do. Uh, you want to work over a World Series so bad you can't stand it. Right. And the Braves had three chances to get there, and ultimately they couldn't do it, uh, and it stunk. Uh, but, you know, it's why you keep doing it. Hopefully one day they get there and they win it.
2: Uh, along those same lines, this question is from David. I feel for you when the team is struggling. I can just turn it off, but you have to stay with it. How do you manage mentally? To me,
1: that part's easy because I love the game. That's the answer right there. So whether the Braves are in first place or last place, I love the game. And I love being at the stadium. Uh, That's the biggest reason I wanted to get into this was to be at the ballpark. I just thought the ballpark was the place to be. I remember listening to games on the radio as a kid and hearing the crowd thinking, man, I want to be there so bad, just be in the middle of that. So even if the team isn't playing well, if they lose and go through frustrating losses, to me, that's my parachute is I'm still at the ballpark. I'm watching the game at its highest level and seeing great players come in and come out. And I, I love the game more than I love the team.
2: I, I'm the same way.
0: Yeah, I would just say, um, you know, look, what I do, uh, I have no effect on any outcome of the game. My job's the same whether they win or lose. I want them to win every single game, but I think it's just one of those things, you know, you're a professional and you show up and you do your job every day, win or lose.
1: Yeah, yeah. good point we got time for a few more. And to set the, the, the picture on, backstory on this question, go back to spring training. And, of course, we broadcast every single spring training game. And one of the places that we went more than anywhere, I believe, was uh, Fenway South there in Fort Myers playing the Red Sox. Well, J. Chad is very structured. He's very organized. He has his things that he needs to get us on the air and make sure that, that we have everything that we need. And he's the last guy you want to steal from because he's going to realize that something is missing. You or I, Joe, you could take one of our pins or whatever. I probably won't even notice it. J-Chad's going to notice. So the official score slash PA announcer, I think he served both roles maybe. Slash thief. (laughs) Right. (laughs) For the Red Sox is in the (laughs) booth right next to us. And he came in one day to ask for some pronunciations from J-Chad. Well, he... Gets his pronunciations done. He leaves. Oh, J. Chad's looking around. Where's my pen? I use the same pen every game. Where's my pen? Sure enough, we look through the glass, and the guy next door has got the pen. So he stole J. Chad's pen from him. I don't know if he meant to or whether he didn't. Doesn't matter. Pen's gone. So this question comes from Lindy. Uh, Besides baseball, what other sports do you follow? Also, uh, will you get a touch of Olympic fever yourself? Finally, really enjoying the podcast. Nice to get to hear from J-Chad for a bit. He should let us know if he's gotten over the loss of his pen at spring training. <laughs> at least without traveling, he isn't having to worry about thieving broadcasters from other teams. So that's a really good memory, Lindy. And to this day, Jay chad is determined at some point along the way... He's getting that pen back.
0: I will get that pen back. (laughs) I have a scorebook that I have that I use just for spring training. And in the back of that scorebook, I keep certain notes. So, for example, maybe we go to a ballpark and uh, I need to make notes of, uh, you know, where our wired Internet is that we broadcast or, you know, just different things. So if I need to refer back to it at any point, I have notes. Well, at the top of that list is my pen, and I have a mental picture of the PA announcer, and when we go back there, at whatever point it is next year, I'm going to find that pen.
1: Can you tell us the details of the pen?
0: I can, yeah, exactly. What is it? It's a Uniball Signo with blue ink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're going to find that thing. And, and I don't think you're strange for that, because I think when you do what we do and keep score, you you like pen consistency. Uh-huh. I, I, I use these Pilot G207s. Uh-huh. The, the 1.0 is, is – or the 10 is too thick. The 0.5 is not thick enough. I love the 0.7. So I understand his frustration because you're specific well, about your pins and your stuff.
0: And it's a spring training game. You go down there – normally when we travel somewhere during the regular season, I have two or three of everything. Right. Everything. You
1: just want people to be working on the same level of mutual respect right. as you are.
0: And when we go somewhere in spring training, you know, you big time scale down what you take. Well, we're going to do one game. I take one pen, one highlighter, one Sharpie, one dry erase, and I have everything laid out, and the pen was gone. And, um, yeah, to answer your question, Lindy, I have not forgotten about it. I will not forget about it, and I will get it back.
2: And we'll keep you posted.
1: Yeah, we will. I like this question from Danny, Joe. This is for you. He says, my question is for Joe. Have you ever been offered a job to coach, manage, or scout? I've often wondered that myself and never have asked you
2: the answer is yes uh right after i got through playing uh a guy who had been in the mariners uh minor league system i mean as a in development like uh assistant farm director or something like that i had taken a job with the mets and he wanted me to come be a roving outfield and base running instructor for the mets and uh if you went by the hour it'd be about 50 cents an hour was <laughs> about what they offered so i said no i i think i can go find a job somewhere else that's going to pay me a little better with uh, uh, my family dependent on that so i got offered right away after playing and then there was a time when i was doing this where i thought you know what if the opportunity came along to manage somewhere, not that I ever thought that anyone would talk to me about it or offer me a job to manage. I thought that would be, uh, something I'd want to do. But, um, even if it had been a minor league gig, uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think upper minor leagues, right. But, uh, because I think guys are at a disadvantage when they get a job in the Big leagues as a manager having never managed before. Right. I think you have to have some of that under your belt. And I'm sure you have some success stories, but I've always thought to myself,
1: how can a guy handle jumping right into the big leagues as a manager for the first time?
2: Uh, Especially from the media standpoint and and what goes on now and the responsibilities you have to that that you probably hadn't entertained when you start thinking about running a ball club. There's other things you got to do, too, that you've got to make yourself available to. So the answer, the simple answer is yes, I've, I was offered. It was a long time ago, uh, but no real, um, nothing real substantiative. Is that the right word? Sounds good enough. Um, from anyone that was very serious about it since. So yeah. I'm, I've been very happy where I am. I manage up here every day. <laughs> you I, do. I mean, in a way, w- yeah. we do. And we talk about the game and everything. We're trying to think ahead. Uh, with both managers and their bullpens and their what they want to do, and there's things that uh, I hope will happen. You know, you'll hear me talk all the time about this. Is a perfect time for a hit and run. Perfect time, perfect count to run on for a steal. You know, I'm managing. Right. That's managing, but it's up here. Yeah. How
1: about it, J.C.? Anything else you want to fire away with?
0: Yeah, uh, from Cameron. He says or she, I don't know. Uh, I often hear an announcer say that an inning is a high stress inning. Does this mean that the inning was physically stressful on the pitcher, mentally stressful, or both?
2: Uh, uh, Both, but more mental. More mental than physical uh, because the the game might be on the line. You might have uh, a very difficult jam in that you've got to pitch to this certain hitter who has given you problems in the past and is a good major league hitter. And you got to get him out to get out of the jam. So there's a lot of stress that goes along with that. Trying to help your ball club out, help try to help your team win. So that becomes a high stress inning, mm-hmm. and sometimes a high stress at bat.
1: I think a high stress inning physically can lead to a high stress inning on your body. Uh, you know, physically, mentally first, then then uh, physically, because just like what you said, it could be mental because you you got a one run lead or whatever, and the next thing you know, you're throwing 35 pitches in an inning, and that. Could be yep. a physical drain on you, right? But it seems like the mental comes before the physical.
2: Well, I've heard managers say too when he took a guy out that we thought, oh, gosh, he had only thrown, you know, seventy-five pitches. Well, there were a lot of high-stress pitches in there, and meaning uh, it took a mental drain on the guy. It might have been seventy-five pitches, but it was like he would thrown one hundred and twenty-five. Yeah, seventy-five
1: one night might be totally different than seventy-five Correct. five days later. Correct. Because of those innings. Uh, we have any more on here, fellas, you want to fire away with for you. Here's
0: one. Out. You know, I've, I've often talked to Mark Lemke about this, but this is also from Trent. He says, since we're in the middle of the Olympics, this is for Joe. How daunting and what were the biggest challenges going on a 17-game road trip during the, during the 96 Olympics?
2: It was tough. It was tough. It was uh, a very long time. If we go on a 10-day road trip now, sometimes 11 at the most, that sounds like a lot. Feels like a is, month. It does. And we were out for 17 games. So that was a very daunting task to stay um, well-fed, work out, stay mentally sharp, all those things. But anytime anybody talks to me about that road trip uh, in 96, I always remember, because it was a big secret about who was gonna light the torch. And Don Sutton and I were in a diner in Houston, Texas. And it was really just a diner, what not any fancy restaurant. And they had the TV on, of course, for the opening ceremonies. And he and I are sitting there eating in this diner, having our cheeseburger or wings or whatever we were having. And we were glued to the TV waiting to see who was going to light the torch when Muhammad Ali came out. So I always remember <laughs> where I was and uh, who I was with. Man, what a long road trip. Horrible. I, it was
0: not to mention you have a wife and family at home that you're apart from, from two and a half weeks.
2: That's right. It, it was all aspects of it were very difficult. You know, they handed you meal money that uh, was like a paycheck for 17 <laughs> days, but, uh, that went away pretty fast too. Yeah. I don't remember where all we went except for Houston, but I know we were there for the opening ceremonies. Yeah. I'll
1: throw one more in there. This is from Jim several times a year. A ball off the bat almost hits a pitcher in the face. Isn't it time pitchers wore face protection? The ball is coming at them at 100-plus miles an hour. I don't know that they would even go for something like that. I remember Alex Torres Yeah, a few years ago had the big hat, Yeah, the protective right. hat. We've seen that. So there are measures available to them should they choose to use them. But I can't think of anybody else who's used any of those protective.
2: Softball pitchers wear a mask if they want uh-huh. and i i really applaud them for doing that they're only 40 feet away you know they're a, they're a lot closer than a baseball pitcher baseball comes back faster than a softball in, on most occasions i don't foresee any time in the future where a baseball pitcher will be willing to wear some kind of cage i think they just want to assume the risk yeah like i realize this could happen but yeah um,
1: the odds of that happening are small and I just want to get out there and do the best I can. Uh, uh,
2: the, the only thing I can think of, think of is if you want to go out and wear a helmet with a cage on it, you know, or kind of a modified hockey mask type thing or little league mask right. apparatus and i just don't see pitchers ever being willing to do that
1: i think that there are definitely measures that we should take to making the game safer the nets is one thing for fans mm-hmm. we you know if you look back 100 years ago they weren't wearing batting helmets you will look back 150 years ago they weren't wearing catcher's gear so there are measures that you should take however at some point it's still a game and people are going to get hurt and there is an amount of risk that you must assume to get out there on the field of the best in the world And compete in this game and i think at some point you just have to say well line this is gonna have to be drawn right here you can't really go above and beyond some of these measures and you have to realize that there is a risk involved with getting out there
2: right that's an assumed risk it's also one you assume when you start playing little league ball and you decide to play second base or shortstop sometimes uh those guys get taken out around the bag not anymore right you know sometimes catcher got run over not anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were assumed risk, risks in the past that guys were readily willing to accept. Yeah. Well, it's, uh,
1: as always, it's been a lot of fun to hang out with you guys. And you uh, listeners out there, we're so grateful for how often you tune in and, and the way that you take in our show. Keep the emails coming. Bravesbooth at gmail.com. Bravesbooth at gmail.com. And maybe next week your question will be read on our show and thank you to everyone who took the time to email us this week some great questions wish we could have gotten to all of them but we're overwhelmed with how many we do get and we thank you so much for the way that you participate with our show we will be talking to we assume tonight because the, the braves take on the mets tonight and joe and i'll have the call coming up this evening it'll be game three in this series of five from somewhere from somewhere that's yes. right but we will be there we'll be on the air Uh, Again, uh, for Joe Simpson, for Jonathan Chadwick, I'm Ben Ingram, and you have been inside the Braves booth.